This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. You know, Mike Murphy started in the NHL as a player in 1971, and a couple of weeks ago he called it a career as the senior VP of Hockey Operations for the NHL. And in between, there's a whole lot of action, there's a whole lot of stories, uh, a whole lot of laughs as well, and a little bit of trivia, and we'll try to get into all of it uh, with the former senior VP of Hockey Operations. He's retired, comma, sort of. Here's Mike Murphy. Mike, thanks so much for joining me today. How are you? Hey, Jeff, I'm great. Thank you for having me on. Uh, the pleasure is all mine. For, first of all, before we get into uh, a couple of things, and I pulled a couple of things out from your from your career at your at your various <laughs> stops. Um, one of the things that I want to start with uh, a, a sad note: Gino Ojic passes away uh, yesterday at the age yeah. of fifty-two. Uh, you coached him with uh, with Milwaukee as well. I think he might have only played about twenty-nine games, but put up one hundred and fifty penalty minutes, and that was a really tough Milwaukee team as well. What do you remember of, of your time with Gino Ojic? Well, Gino had just come out of junior and was kind of a raw professional. He was still learning to be a pro. Uh, at the time, we had a very tough team in Milwaukee. We had five or six guys that were really uh, at the top end of toughness. And uh, the Vancouver Canucks had struggled and, and uh, with physicality over the last couple of years. When, and when Pat Quinn and Brian Burke went in there, they wanted to toughen up the team. And I remember Gino was playing really well for me, and I could play him almost at any uh, forward position. Uh, and actually, I played him at center a couple of times because I could get better matchups with him there. And he um, mm. he was just a total team player on the bench. Like, whatever you wanted him to do, he would do. He would never complain. He didn't care about uh, – I shouldn't say he didn't care about ice time, but he would sacrifice ice time to win a game. And I remember Pat called me, and I want to say it was like early December, and he said, what's going on with Ajik? And I said, he's playing well. He's doing what we ask him. He's very tough, one of the toughest guys in this league, and it was a really tough league. And uh, mm-hmm. he says, get him on a plane here. And um, so I remember calling Gino, and Gino would just he, – he really didn't understand what I was telling him. He said, no, you're going to the NHL. You're going to Vancouver. You're going to play with the Canucks. So go up there retain what we've talked about, stay under control, and do what the coach asked you. And away he went, and I, I thought I would get him back in a week or 10 days because the, the Canucks had gone through some injuries, so I thought he was just a stopgap guy, but I never saw him again. He uh, he went up there and, yeah. and filled the bill for them, played well, and did what was asked. And uh, uh, it, it's a sad day. I hope, I hope uh, uh, my condolences go out to all his family and friends. And I know I was reading some articles today on him, how how much fun guys had with them and how much uh, of a great teammate yeah. he was. So you hate to lose people like that. And we've lost a lot of them the last, in the last year. So it's really, uh, it's really been a tough year that way. Uh, it, it certainly has with uh, Mike Murphy. Now the former senior VP of hockey operations for the NHL. And uh, I'm going to try to pull a few things out here from your career and, and get your thoughts on it. But it, it's one of those situations, Murph, where, you know, this show is two hours long, and I've only got you for about 20 minutes plus, but I could probably do two hours plus just pulling out highlights from your career at your, your various stops and your various roles. One thing I've always wanted to ask, now, is this true? Now, I, I know that, you know, you drafted by the Rangers before you got to St. Louis, played the year in the minors with Fred Shiro. I do want to ask you yep. about the fog, but when you walked away, I believe you went to sell cars, I think. 
Um, and what what brought you back? Because I know you you walked away from it. Like you were that close and never being part of the the NHL and having this fifty year career. Oh, Jeff, it was nothing more than a negotiating negotiating uh, ploy. Uh, I played for Fred, and, and we'd had a terrific year in Omaha. We were a really good young team. And the Central Hockey yeah. League back then was mostly all first-round draft picks and top young players. Older players went and played the American League. But we had a real good team in Omaha. The Rangers' other farm team was in Providence, and we used to beat them like a drum when we played them in exhibition. So, anyways, I played for Fred there, and Fred – Without that, uh, without the coaching of Fred and the insight of Fred, and he was a remarkable coach, uh, a great psychologist, but a great tactical coach. He was well ahead of his time. He had studied Russian hockey. We had, on our power play, we yes. were flipping the wingers before anybody was flipping their wingers on the on, to get the one time shot. So he was doing things that were really progressive. And without him, I would have never, I would have never gotten to where I got. Uh, so I, I, I owe a great deal of uh, a great deal of uh, uh, tribute to him. One story on Fred was I'd had a, I'd had a really good year offensively, and we were going into the playoffs. And we were one of the top teams, and we were um, he had a meeting with every individual before the playoffs, and he brought me in. And you never knew if Fred really knew who you were. He had these big thick glasses on. And he would talk to you, and he'd kind of look over <laughs> yep. your head. He'd never really pay attention to who. He, and I, he, I came in and sat down in his office, and he said, "Listen, I know you're really disappointed in your year, and I know you can do a lot better, and you can save your season if you have a good playoff. So you better buckle down and be ready." And he said, "That's all I need to talk to you about. Get out." And I went, "He he's got the wrong guy. He's talking to the wrong guy. He, he, he made a mistake. He, this is Murphy. He's thinking it's somebody else." So I walked away and I was like totally flabbergasted because I thought he completely, and it was, it was a psychological ploy. He was just saying, you better get your ass in gear, Murphy, and keep going because we need to win these playoffs. And so it, it did work too, because we went on and won the championship, but it was a, he was a remarkable guy that way. He <laughs> played my games with you. And, uh, uh, but he yeah. was, he was a great, a great asset for in the development of my, my hockey. You know, he always had a, a great saying and you know, a couple of uh, really you know, always had like something interesting to say to everybody. There's a great story about Dave Schultz coming to him in Philadelphia saying, you know, he's getting hammered in the press and Hockey News says he's the worst thing to happen to the NHL and he's a goon. He's like, my parents read this. And Fred says, oh, you want this to stop? And, and Schultz says, yeah, I do. He says, well, here it is. Here's what you do. Say nothing, do nothing, be nothing. Now get out of my office. Just like yeah. just like that. You know, the oh, yeah, idea he, that dogs don't bark at parked cars. No, yeah, he was remarkable. Always had an expression or something on the board that was a, a, kind of a brain teaser. So, he, yeah, he was, a, he was a great guy to be around. Okay, uh, I, I want to make sure that I get this in because I've always, like, honestly, Murph, I've always wanted to ask you about this one. 1987, March 28th. Los Angeles Kings are playing the Calgary Flames. You're coaching. And Al Jensen throws his stick, and so it's a penalty shot. And Joey Mullen is about to take it. You send Bernie Nichols over to Kerry Fraser and say, I want a stick measurement on Joey Mullen. And Fraser <laughs> says, well, you can only call a stick measurement after the shot. And it is the NHL's first, and I believe only, disallowed penalty shot goal Take us back to that one. Yeah, we were 
you know, back then, uh, everybody was checking sticks all the time. Like you would be, you know, it, it was a rarely a game would go by when a coach wouldn't check a stick. Uh, and that's, that's gone away now, but back then we did and we checked it and, and our guys, uh, Nichols was really good. He was always looking at guys sticks in the warm up and searching for illegal sticks. And he'd come to me and says, Mullen sticks illegal. And so we're on the bench. When it happens, I just said, let's check his stick after, see what happens. I can't remember their recourse. I think if I got it wrong. Uh, Two-minute minor. A, yeah, I think we got a penalty. So we checked it. and took. Uh, they changed the rule right after that. And Colin Campbell, myself, yes. always talk about those type of situations because when you call a stick on the ice, it's easy for the assistant coach to say, hey, call that stick. It's illegal. But when you're the head coach, it falls on your lap if you're wrong. So – it's never it was never an easy proposition, but it was sure done a lot back then. Uh, it sure was. That's one of the one uh, one of the great stories. Joey Mullen with the disallowed penalty shot goal. Um, <laughs> when when you uh, when you when you look back to that transition to working in hockey operations uh, with the NHL, any any what can you tell us about that time? Like, what did you think it was going to be? Uh, any misgivings at all, or did you think this is going to be a great career move for me? I I do want to get to the nature of some of the the phone calls from GMs after games and owners, etc. But you're initial memories of transitioning into working for the NHL? Well, I'll take you back just before it. I, I was, had coached the Leafs for a couple of years, and I had been let go. Yep. And I got hired in the, in the very, very late in the summer, in fact, during training camp, to go and work with Ottawa. That was a great experience because we had a great young team, excellent coach in Jock Martin. And for the first time in three or four years, I worried about only coaching players. You hadn't worried about managing media, managing the the GM and the people above you, you just coached. And it was it was yeah. intriguing because the players were so good. You know, Hosa, Elfordson, Daco, Phillips, Redden, Yashin, these guys were just, just starting to bloom. So it was a big thrill to be in that on that team and, and really see the growth of that team for that year. But about three-quarters of the way through the year, Colin Campbell called me, and he had just taken a job as the uh, director of uh, hockey – director of hockey operations for the National Hockey League and, exec- and executive vice president. And he said, would you be interested at all in working with the league? And we had a conversation and I'd been on the coaching carousel for a little bit for, I want to say 13 or 14 years. And it was the third or the fourth time I'd had to change positions. And I thought to myself, that might not be a bad idea. So we, we outlined the details of it and, uh, at the end of the season, I went to the uh, uh, Marshall Johnson was the general manager in Ottawa, and I went and said, "Marshall, I'm going to take a job with the league," and that's how it transpired. And when I when I uh, met with Coley and Gary Batman later, I, I said, "So what do you want me to do?" They said, "You can do whatever you want." And at that time, we didn't have anybody <laughs> in the hockey operations department. We had Colin, we had a guy named Damian Echeverrieta, uh, and myself there. And it was like back then we weren't worried about reviewing goals or there were coaches' challenges. We were worried more about discipline of players. And the league was much more aggressive than with sticks and elbows and vicious plays. And that was kind of the uh, the job I had to do. I had to scour these games every night to try to find discipline plays, which was really tough because you're dealing with small screens, you're dealing with uh, VCRs, 
And that was kind of the yep. genesis of the uh, the video room. And we didn't even worry about goals because goals were done at the rink by video goal judges. So that's kind of what we started with. And then and we, it, we, it got a little better. We evolved. We got little bigger TVs and better VCRs. And then one night we're sitting, uh, 2003, I talked to Kenny Daniels about this the other day because I mentioned it to him. And we're sitting in the video room watching games, and there was a game in Calgary with Detroit, and there's a puck that gets very close to the goal line, but it doesn't go over, and they call it a goal. So now, 30 seconds later, after the ruling, the phone rings. It's Kenny Holland. And Kenny says, guys, we, we've got to change this. This is the wrong call. You saw it. I saw it. We've got to have a full-time video room. We've got to have people who are there all the time that will bring consistency, that will bring accuracy, that will bring speed to this. And that was the genesis of the video room where we started to do uh, video review, and it's growing into Coach's Challenge. And at one point, we did player safety, too. About 10 years into that, player safety segued off and has their own department now, which is great. So... That was kind of the genesis of the video room and how it all started, and that's where, uh, that's kind of where my job came from. I started on the ground floor, and then the video room has grown and been built up, and with the, the technology we have in the world today, the fiber optic, the big screens, uh, the intercom systems, uh, we see everything in real time there. So that's what it's grown into from that one call in Calgary that night with Kenny Holland to what we are today. Wow. That's fascinating. Um, Murph, I've only got like three minutes left with, you know, a whole slew of things to ask you. But I, I, I do want to, I am curious. I think a lot of us would be curious. The, the nature of, you know, the, the the Ken Holland phone call to Mike Murphy is one thing, and that's a friendly call. That's more of a, hey, let's get, but, but we do know that you, you answered the phone and there were some irate people on the other end. Um, what's the angriest You've ever heard either, you know, probably a manager uh, who calls after a game or a controversial situation. And were you ever on the other end of an Ed Snyder, the late owner of the Philadelphia Flyers, blast? Uh, I, I, I can I can't. I've never been on with Ed, no. But I've been on with back when Bob Bobby Clark was the general manager. I've been on with him a a, a couple of times, and he's he was I he's been irate at times, and and. I remember one time specifically, I was going back and forth with Bob. He called about a play, and he'd, we'd hung up, and then he called again about a play, and we hung up. And then the next time he called, one of the guys in the video room picked up because I was doing something, and Bob went for about 15 minutes just reaming this guy out, thinking it was me. And the guy, <laughs> the guy turned to me oh, and no. said, <laughs> what do you want to do? I said, Answer it. Tell him what you need. And at the end of it, he just said, okay, thanks, Bob, and hung up, and that was it. So Bob never knew he had me, but he had one of the guys <laughs> in the video. So one, of the, one of the stories, some of the most difficult calls, and general managers rarely call unless something has yeah. gone wrong in their game that's clearly uh, been miscalled or been misread. And the most important thing, I always felt the most important thing, and this was good advice from the commissioner when I took the job, listen, just listen to people. They want to they wanna voice their displeasure. you got to listen, uh, pay attention to details. You don't always have an answer, and a lot of times I'd say to irate general managers, let me go back and look at the play. 
Uh, I can't change it. You know that. And I'll get back to you ASAP. And that's what I would do. And a lot of times, uh, by that time, uh, some of the anger had dissipated. You, you couldn't change the call, but at least they got their voice. They got the, you know, to explain to you what they thought was wrong. And very often, as I said, they were right. And that was uh, that was a, a big part of the job. Yeah. Listen, uh, I, I have to wrap up here. I got about 30 seconds. Uh, I think the number is 11 grandkids you have right now. So you're going to be still busy in retirement, whether it's at hockey rinks or, or, or following grandkids all over North America. Give us give us a hot 30 seconds on what's next for Mike Murphy. Well, no, there's only 10. There's only 10. So you're one. I'm going to watch. Okay. Who's your little guy that plays in Markham? Is it Brody? Who's your little? Who, who Brody, yeah, Brody. Yeah, Brody. I mean, uh, yeah, Brody, you. he's uh, on the, on Rafi Torres' team. Yeah, you know, listen, I'll see you at the rink. I, I'm actually in California right now with my wife. We're spending a little time out here. We're going to go back uh, probably in a couple of weeks, three weeks. But, uh, yeah, we get a full schedule. I got seven that play, two gals that play, two little girls. And, like, I need a spreadsheet to check, okay, who have I seen play? Okay, I got to go see them play. <laughs> So and and they always want good advice, Papa. What can I do better? What can I do? And so it's a it's an ongoing coaching for me, and it's uh, I'm not getting paid quite as well as what I was with the Leafs, but I'm still coaching. <laughs> and it's, these are the best games, Murph. Like you know that these are these are the best games to watch. Um, listen, congratulations on an outstanding career. Uh, I really want to do this again at, at some point as well. So much more to catch up on. Thanks so much for this. Um, listen, you're always delightful every time, you know, everyone says this from the media, whenever we'd call the war room and Murph picks up, you know, it's going to be a civil conversation. Uh, great job going back to 1971. Take a bow, enjoy retirement. Although I'm not sure how relaxing it's going to be. Still sounds like you're a very busy man. Thanks so much, Murph. you be well. My pleasure, Jeff. Be well. I'll talk to you soon. Be good. Mike Murphy is the uh, former senior VP of hockey operations, and yeah, I see him around the rink at St. Andrews College. He's got a uh, he's got a kid as well, a 2012, a grandkid uh, who plays against one of my kids at uh, St. Andrews. So always lots of fun seeing Murph around the rinks. Uh, we'll take a break. Coming up, Joey Kenward in hour two. We'll talk about the uh, the late great Gino Ojic. Uh, but next, uh, we go to Vancouver and the Jim Rutherford press conference. It'll be about Tanner Pearson. We also suspect it'll be about. Much, much more. Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay, welcome back to the program. We're going to go right to Rogers Arena right now. Press conference with Jim Rutherford of the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, good morning. Thanks for coming. I first want to take uh, this moment uh, on behalf of the Vancouver Canucks to extend my condolences to the Ojik family. Gino will be sorely missed. He was such an icon here. And uh, anybody that met him loved the guy. And uh, yesterday was a very sad day. <clears throat> we have uh, done an, a thorough review of the comments that come out last week about Tanner Pearson. First, the most important thing 
is Tanner's health and his well-being going forward. Obviously, there's been setbacks here, which is unfortunate, and we all feel bad for him. When I heard the comments last week, the it was comments that I hadn't heard before, and not that I hear everything that goes on around here, but I felt immediately that it had to be looked into. So I'm not a medical guy, I didn't get involved with the medical things. Uh, what I did do initially was to go to all the people that had been dealing with Tanner through this process, everyone, and asked them if Tanner had expressed any concern about how his situation had been handled. And I couldn't find one person that, uh, that was told that it wasn't handled properly. So the next step was to go to the people that work with those departments. I have Dr. Bill Regan here, who's been with the Canucks for over two decades a highly respected doctor. He's full-time with us now. So I had him go through the process of what he deals with. And also Dr. Harry Cece, who we brought on last year to observe our medical and strength and conditioning staff to see if there were any changes or what we could do to improve it. And uh, so he's put together the new staff. He's familiar with all those people. So what I want to do now is to let Dr. Reagan speak to what he has found in the review and then Harry can speak to what he has uh, observed and then we'll open it up to questions. Thank you, Jim. Uh, thank you all for coming. I have, uh, in the, in the course of doing this review for Jim and the Vancouver Connector Organization, I provided a timeline for the management of Tanner Pearson and his injury. And after that, I put together a brief synopsis of just the way we do business with the Vancouver Canucks. But I would like to begin first, uh, and if I prepared this report, so I would like to begin first by acknowledging that my top priority and main concern is Tanner Pearson's health and a safe recovery. I also respect his right to privacy and confidentiality, therefore any comments from this point are going to be general in nature. So to begin, I watched, like many of you, Hockey Night in Canada on Saturday night. And during the course of the uh, intermission, Kevin Bieksa described how, in his experience, player injuries are managed at the NHL level. So please allow me a couple of minutes to uh, expand on his thoughts. When a player presents with an injury, it's a team physician responsibility, and in this situation mine, to evaluate the player and determine whether conservative care alone will suffice or whether more aggressive management strategies may be required. If in fact outside opinions are required, I will source out contact experts in whatever field that needs to be addressed. These independent experts will often reach out to other colleagues in the field and then present their opinions to the player, the risks and benefits, pros and cons of conservative versus surgical intervention. And at this point in time, the player will then make a decision along with his trusted um, allied and uh, agent, etc., as to whether to proceed or not. 
After all this process has been in place, the player or the team physician could ask for yet another opinion, which is granted because it is, it's their prerogative and ours. The next step is if any player undergoes surgery by an outside independent consultant, the player then becomes that consultant's patient, as he is my patient with the team. After the surgery is successfully completed, the third-party independent content expert then is intricately involved with the direct rehabilitation protocols that are inherent with the surgery completed. And at that point, the training staff will implement his wishes or her wishes. Let us not forget that we as physicians and training staff on all 31 NHL teams meet annually with the NHL management to discuss protocols and changes thereof which may have occurred over the past year. The Vancouver Canucks organization follows these principles. In other words, we are in direct lockstep with the NHL on how play players' injuries are managed. This is how the injury to Tanner Pearson was handled. Nevertheless, no matter how excellent a patient's care, including following best practice guidelines, complications do arise. I will tell you that in this case, the surgeons involved in the care of Tanner Pearson have had many years of experience and are internationally known. On a personal note, I'd have any of the surgeons involved in his care operate any one of my family members with no hesitation. Having said that, in Tanner's case, there have been two setbacks stalling his recovery. Tanner has been reviewed by three outside consultants who have in turn consulted with other trusted colleagues outside of the organization in order to obtain consensus as to how to best move forward with his care in order to ensure the best outcome. Uh, finally, at close, I would like to thank the Canucks organization, and most specifically Patrick Alvine, who is the person to whom I directly report to. And for all his support and concern he has demonstrated regarding medical care of his, of his players. Patrick Alvin has had a lot on his plate this year, as we all know, but every time I call, he picks up the phone and offers any assistance he can for the management of his players. Thank you. I would like to now turn over the microphone to Dr. Seezy to talk about the rehabilitation techniques of play. Thank you, Dr. Bill. When it comes to rehabilitation and return to play, uh, there are many steps to it. So it's not you have an injury and then all of a sudden you're directly back to play. There are many steps involved, whether you are a professional athlete or just a fan watching at home. For example, if you hurt your hand, we're going to start with simple steps such as, you know, is the wound healing? Are we then able to work on range of motion, grip strength, and so forth? So whenever you hear the term return to play, it's not necessarily, oh, an injury is good to go, you are back on the ice. No, there are many steps to follow. Now I know there have been some comments on to our new medical staff, but to kind of settle this here, it's not a new medical staff completely. We have Dr. Bill and we have also kept several of our other former staff. Now, the Vancouver Canucks brought me on last season to observe and give my independent review on how the human performance department and also the medical department was functioning. And over the off-season, the club has decided to make some changes, and I was brought in to also help find new staff, which I did closely with Patrick as well. 
I didn't want just people who are good enough. I wanted people who were the best at providing the best care we can give all the players, but also when it comes to strength and conditioning and also sports science, and when it comes to the rehabilitation of all players. So my team has a vast amount of experience, hockey and also various other professional sports. So there's full confidence from myself, from Dr. Bill, management, and also the players. I do speak to the players regularly and I ask them directly, do you have any questions, concerns, what can be done to make what we are providing you even better? And so far, all the feedback has been great. They are fully confident in what we do and thankful for what we are giving them. Uh, you mentioned setbacks. Uh, what were the nature of the setbacks and how many surgeries has Tanner actually had? Uh, thank you for that question. Uh, due to the, uh, the confidentiality and privacy concerns, I really can't divulge that, unfortunately. Is, um, I guess a curiosity from our perspective is that how did a four to six week injury morph into something where Tanner's not going to play the rest of the year. I mean, is there, is there some way that we can at least address the fact that it's gone from four to six weeks to season ending, and why? Again, uh, due to privacy concerns, I'm not going to go into details. However, he's had, he's had two setbacks, and that has led us to the place we are today. Have, uh, I don't know if you can answer this one, Jim. Have you heard from the NHLPA? I know it was kind of concerned about the process here. Have Have they approached you at all, the Players Association? About not yet. Not yet. Um, I've heard that they they are meeting today, and uh, so if uh, uh, you know if they decide to take a look at this or the league, uh, you know, obviously we're open to it. If there was any wrongdoing. We want to get it right going forward, okay? But based on our internally here, you know, we're comfortable with the way things have been handled. But having someone else come in and look at it and getting their opinion would be fine. Uh, Dr. Cece, just to, to confirm, are you full-time with the organization or are you in more of a consultant capacity? I'm more of a consultant capacity. So um, if, if you're not here daily, take me through the decision-making process, who's ultimately responsible for the medical department and these decisions? The ultimate decisions are always going to be held with Dr. Bill, as well as any of the specialists who are involved in the care of the actual injury itself. The human performance department of the therapist and also the strength and conditioning to help rehabilitate the injuries, that is all done through the guidance of the specialists and Dr. Bill overseeing that as well. So we have multiple checkpoints and also, you know, having group discussions on what is the best way to handle uh, any injury and also how to help have that player return uh, safely, but at a good pace. Jim and, and doctor, um, I don't think your answer is going to play out well with your season ticket holders and hockey fans. When players get injured and if it's a season ending injury in the past, we've heard what it is if it's a breaking, broken hand or a broken leg. This is a very contentious issue. You know when words like this get out, it can poison the well in the hockey world. Are you concerned that you're going to have players who may not want to come here because of what's going on with this injury? 
No, I'm not. Uh, certainly, we're not uh, we're not happy with what's going on. But for the most part, these injuries have gone according to the course they take. And just because we've had one where we have this kind of a setback, I don't think it should be viewed that, uh, that that's going to happen all the time. And that's why we're talking to you. I get what you're saying. People want the information, but there's laws. And there's laws in Canada. There's privacy laws based on, on uh, medical care. And if we could tell you, we would. I mean, it's on the tip of my tongue. I, I would like to tell you, but, but we we would be in trouble if we did it. Can somebody speak and, at least to sorry, Jim, to the at least the prognosis for recovery? I mean, we know he's not going to play the rest of the year, but is he at a stage now with setbacks and procedures where you can forecast that he's going to be okay to play next season? I wouldn't conjecture any answer to that question at this particular time. Unfortunately, I'm still for you as well, Jim, because you've got a player who has another year left on his contract, who's also at an age where the trade deadline coming up might be of value to some other team as a yeah, veteran. And how does that complicate the matters for you, even from that side of the ledger? Well, we have a lot of complicated matters and related to the cap and things like that. But th this is not something we think about now. This is about his health getting him back to be in 100% if that's possible and uh, and hopefully the right things were done you know and and if they weren't that we that they're changed going forward so this is this is not a concern of mine now there's there's other things to deal with uh, as far as the cap and things like that and uh, I don't think that I should be worrying about Tanner at this point other than his health. Just to follow up Jay's question, and, and Jim, you said that, that uh, this is just one case, but I know that Brock had a hand procedure and, and the wound opened up there, and I, and I believe there were some concerns last year from Jason Dickinson's camp about maybe a, <coughs> either a misdiagnosis or something along those lines regarding a hand injury there, and now also Thatcher seems to have gone beyond his original timeline that, that uh, we were told when he first got hurt. Do you, do you worry about kind of a pattern of things that don't necessarily go as originally planned and, and that might be a concern to agents and players down the road? No, I don't. I don't. Because in Dickinson's case, there was never any indication of a hand injury. He played through an injury, but it was a long ways from his hand. Okay? And, uh, and with what Thatcher's dealing with, that's, that happens to a lot of players with the injury he's dealing with, and especially the position he plays, okay? And we're not going to be in a position to hurry him back. We want him to be 110% when he comes back. And even when that happens, with the injury he deals with and the position he plays with, you know, he, he's, he's going to have to prepare himself properly for practices and games. So, you know... We, we always deal with these injuries. I've, as you know, I've been around a long time. And just because there's a timeline set for a player, it doesn't mean they're going to hit that timeline. Uh, just with Thatcher, um, you know, is, is there any kind of an update on what we're looking at with him going forward here? Well, the best I can give you is we feel that he's, he's progressing fine. And... Uh, that's uh, that's what we hope for. We we hope to see him back here in 
relatively near future, whatever that means. Jim, two questions. I want to read you something that was said by a season ticket holder. And it's a sentiment that I'm hearing more and more from, from, from our viewers and from hockey fans in this province who are diehard, who are fully invested in your hockey team. Quote, just so, so done with the Canucks, not even emotionally engaged, just feel they are not an organization or well-run organization. Zero integrity or sincerity in anything that the organization does. That's from a season ticket holder. Yeah. Your thoughts? Well, I don't agree. And uh, certainly they have the right to their opinion. And, you know, that's unfortunate. Season's ticket holders are very important to us. Uh, have the utmost respect for them. But I don't agree with that. Okay, I want to ask you a hockey question now. Um, get away, wait, get, wait, can we get hold away from injury stuff? Oh, okay, wait. Okay. Oh. Are we finished with the two doctors and then I'll stay? Okay. So you don't have so to hurry. You can get the doctor because of their time. Yeah, no worries. Any? With regards to, I have a question related to the initial topic of the press okay. conference. Okay. Jim, with regard to the review that you conducted over the course of this weekend, um, did you solicit the opinions of Canucks players, and are you confident that they have confidence in the staff as assembled in the wake of this uh, incident? I, I have not talked to many players. Patrick does. Patrick talks to the agents. Dr. Cece talks to the players, probably more regular, about the care they get. And based on all the feedback I get from that communication, it's very positive. They like the new staff. They feel they're being taken care of very well. But if you would like to speak to it, Harry, go ahead. Yeah, no, there's been no change. There's been full confidence in the staff. Um, one thing to add is that the whole staff has been vetted, even the previous ones who have stayed behind as well, because I wanted a, a very special team that provided very special skill sets to try and minimize or fill any gaps that there were from previous seasons. So we actually do work closely with the NHL, even in putting a team together, as far as what their medical standard mandates are for certain staff as well. So no, there's been no loss of confidence. Nothing's changed even as of last week's comments from uh, one of the players. Yeah. Are there any other medical questions? Okay, thank you guys. Thank you guys. Thank you. Okay, thanks. You were you were still going on. Yeah, thanks Jim. I'll just let him move the yeah. chair. Okay. <coughs> you guys good? Okay. I know in the past when we've chatted with you, it's been a while. Um, you bought into this core, you believed in this core, you re-signed JT Miller to a long-term deal. It seems that no matter who the coach of this hockey team is, be it Travis Green, Bruce Boudreau, or whoever may come in after Bruce, that this core doesn't want to play the structure, the style that you'd like to see that needs to be had to success. Are you recalibrating your thoughts on this core, and is it time now to finally change it all up? Well, I definitely know we have to change it, okay? And... You know, I'm I'm disappointed in, in the job I've done to this point, okay? Because when I first came here, I talked about getting control of the cap, you know, getting the cap back to where it is, getting rid of some contracts, and we haven't been able to do that. Now, the opportunity hasn't been there, 
but it's still my job to get it done. Until we do that, we're not going to be able to make the kind of changes that we need to make. There's certainly the changes we need to make to put ourselves in a better position. When there's players out there available, we can go and get them. And so that's that's been very disappointing for me. The changes the changes we need to make are, are not with the core players. The changes we need to make are are other players on the team. Okay? And it could end up being core players. You know, when I came here I knew it was gonna be a big challenge. And I thought, you know, we're gonna have to do minor surgery. Well to answer your question, have I changed my position? Yeah. We have to do major surgery. And between now and the start of next season, we're going to have to make some changes. Some won't be very popular. Some will be popular. But we're going to have to really do some things that I didn't think we would normally have to do when I first got here on, on how we make those changes. Jim, you've had an ownership group here that, for the most part, for the longest time, spent the max, didn't get results, haven't had playoff revenue for a while. What in your mind do they think major surgery looks like? And what do you think major surgery is going to look like? And are they going to be able to taste or, or, or have that palatable to them if it means missing the playoffs for years? Yeah, ownership hasn't interfered uh, with, with any decisions that I've made. You know, I give ownership credit. They give us all the tools possible to do what we need to do without any interference. So there, there's no issues there. Okay, so what it looks like to me is what it's looked like all along. The trades that we make is try to get players 26, 25 years or younger and bring this team together within the next year or two. Okay, this, this was never going to be a quick fix. There's a long game here, but I don't want to sit here and say, you know, preach patience, patience, because I know the frustration of the fans and the media and everybody wants it done sooner than later, just like I do. But in a cap world, it's not e that easy to do. It's not like we've had deal trades on the table that we've walked away from, okay? These, these are hard to make. And I'm gonna go back to that other question you had about the season's ticket holder. When you're gonna make, the, when you make the kind of changes that we've made and moved a lot of people out of here and made changes. Like there were 32 people since I've come that are now not with the Vancouver Canucks Hockey Department. And since that, we've added 24 people. So when you have those kind of changes, there's gonna be people upset. There's people out there that have friends that have worked here. And there's people that have connections. And so of course, you're gonna have people that feel that way. But I, but I would also say, not disrespecting what you're saying, your season ticket holders, that's what they see on the ice. Correct. And they're not seeing a winner. They're not seeing what they think needs to be done, be it uh, a rebuild or acquiring draft picks to have a stronger future. Yeah. They've seen the same old, same old year after year thinking we just need to build around the periphery, yeah. but you've got a core here that hasn't delivered for you. Fair point. Agree. Agree with that point. And all the core players aren't going to end up being still being here, okay? But we haven't had the opportunity to take those steps. We're halfway through this season. And we're stuck with contracts that we can't move. 
until we move those out or until they expire, it's going to be hard to make those changes. I totally agree with your comment. But if somebody can come and help us, I am more than welcome to bring another person on board because we are trying to do exactly what your question is. And we will continue to do it. We work on it every day. I just come back from our meetings where we had our development staff, um, our amateur staff, and our pro scouting staff all together. And we had really good meetings. And we, you know, we continue to talk. So I don't have a change of philosophy from your question. Jim, someone suggests that you've kind of doubled down on some of those challenges, right, with the, the Miller contract, which is, um, you know, going to be here for a while at, at $8 million a year, and then, you know, bringing in uh, McKayev and, and things of that nature. Are you concerned, you know, I think what Jay's alluding to is some fans think maybe a, a step back is in order in terms of rebuilding versus just trying to continue to build and push forward, but some of the moves might show that that's what you're trying to do that might make it harder later. You have to have some of those players, Okay. The cap's going to keep going up and up. By the time we get to a point of, uh, if you want to use JT's contract, for example, the cap's going to be 90 or $95 million. That contract is not going to affect what the Canucks do several years down the road. So you have to have some of those players. And we are taking a step back, whether we want to or not. And we're not happy about it. And I'm not laughing about it. But the fact of the matter is, we're in the process of taking a step backwards. Excuse me for a second. What can you tell us about Bo Horvat? There, there have been some reports that there's a lot of interest out there, but also that you guys might take one more shot at getting him re-signed. We've, we, I believe, have taken our best shot. And the contract that we have on the table for Bo right now, I think is a fair contract for what he's done up until this year. But it's certainly under market value for what he's done this year. So we're, you know, we're in a pickle here. Okay, <laughs> he he's had a career year, career run, and he's looking for his money. He deserves it. I don't blame him. But even with what we have on the table for him now, without any changes, which we know whether it's through buyouts or something, there will be changes for next year. Um, we're well over the cap on the projection, okay? Now, in that projection, you have Pullman in there. Will he be on LTIR? I don't know. There, there's, there's ways of moving money around. There's creative ways. But the fact of the matter, it's always a tight fit. Bruce Boudreaux, um, what's his future? There's reports out there that you guys have had conversations with Rick Tockett already and that it's just a matter of time in Bruce's case. It feels like he's in a real challenging position. Yeah, well, we all are. And, uh, you know, there's lots of speculation out there. Bruce is our coach now, okay? When we get off to a slow start this year, we, as a hockey staff, we, we watch the coaching staff closer. There's been times where we've had real good runs and the team's played pretty well, and there's been times where we haven't. And, and why is that? And, I, and, and when I say this, I'm not pointing this at Bruce. You know, Bruce is a friend. I really like Bruce, and he's done good work here. But this is what we review all the time and try to make a decision. So all I can say is that, that Bruce is our coach right now. Have you spoken to replacement candidates, potential replacements? 
we have, uh, I'll say I have, and I'm not going to get into names, and th this is even going back a couple of months ago, that I have, I have called a few people to talk to people, yes. If you but, but with that, it was clear that I'm, I'm calling and talking, but don't know that we're making a change and don't want to make a change. Just to follow up on, on that, uh, Jim, if you have a candidate in mind, be it Talkit or somebody else, and you want to incorporate that structure, culture that you've talked about since you got here, would it not be in your best interest to let Bruce go, get that guy in here, and you have options until somebody else arrives? You have interim coach options on the bench. Mikey Owl's been a head coach. Have you thought about going down that road and, and getting a leg up on next year, structure-wise? No, no. Bruce is our coach, and uh, and and that's that's the way it is today. Jim, is this job bigger than you thought it was when you took it? In light of how this season has played out, um, how this market views the team, and the challenges ahead of you, because I'm sure you've you've had seasons where you think you couldn't get a, a deal done, and 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 some salary cap, and you've managed to get it done. You haven't been able to do that yet. Is it? Is it different than what you thought it was going to be? Is it more challenging? No. no, it's not. And I really like the market. I get it that people are upset and they, you know, they write very direct emails to you and things like that. But what a great hockey market. I'm back in Canada. It's where I was born and raised. And, uh, and it's a challenge. It's a big challenge. There's a lot of work to be done here. I mean, for you people that follow the team, I, I don't think you're surprised that it gets to this point that you know that there's going to have to be serious changes like i said major surgery and uh and you know we'll we'll work through it and we'll be thorough we'll do the best we can and like i said it will never happen as fast as we all want uh, jim i think coming into this season the expectations were for this team to get to the playoffs is what we kind of heard up to this point we heard about building and building and building has that plan changed quite a bit? Is this team still building or looking towards a rebuild when you talk about these major surgeries? We're not looking towards a rebuild. I'd rather call it a retool. My preference is when we make these deals is not necessarily for draft picks that may come in and help the team, you know, four years from now, five years from now. I'd prefer to get younger NHL players that maybe didn't work out in their entry-level contract and, you know, bring them in, give them a second chance. We'll still try to acquire some draft picks, but we have to, we have to go about this in a way that, that it's not a long-term rebuild, okay? And I think we can do that. The possibilities are out there. Now, you get some of these players that have been two years in the league and haven't uh, met their expectations you know they may not turn out either you know there's a risk in that but it's no different than the draft pick that you take that you find out three years from now that they didn't develop properly so that's kind of the direction we'd like to go so it'll be a mix of draft picks and hopefully younger NHL guys that have NHL experience Jim is there risk or You've noted that you can't turn it around necessarily as quickly as, as everybody wants. But 
is there risk in attempting to bridge that gap based on where this team's at, based on your cap issues, based on how lean your prospect system is? Um, can this be turned around quickly? How confident are you that you're able to do that? What's your definition of quickly? Three years. Yes. Oh, yeah. That was more than fair. Yeah, three years. You know, I'd like to think it's it's quicker than that. We got a lot of good players here. You know, I just don't... I actually had this conversation with the team in our opening dinner. And I talked to the team about we have really a lot of good players, but do we have a team? And we've never come together as a team. What a team is to win at all costs. You know, we played a game here a week ago against Colorado. And you look at how that game was played. That was played like a team that you wanted to win at all costs. How many of those games have we seen? We don't see many of those games here. And so that's what I talk about. You got to be you got to be all in. You can't be half in. You can't just be happy to be in, live in a beautiful city, get paid a lot of money, come to the rink and just play and go home. You know, there has to be attention to details. There has to be accountability. All those things that are very important to become a regular playoff team. And that's what we have to work towards. And we have not been able to do that at the midway point of this season. You're not seeing that consistently at the moment from your team on the ice. Why are you so committed in your belief about this core? Well, I don't want to say I'm totally committed. I mean, I, I still believe in the core, and I still believe that we have a lot of good players. But with that, when I talk about major surgery, you know, there could be core players that are that have to move out. It may be the way, it may be the only way that we can get significant players back where you take a core player and you can get a good young center and a and a good right shot defenseman it may be the only way to do it and that's when i talk about about you know there will be some decisions that are popular and there'll be some that won't and we may get to that point that we have to do it jim did you talk to uh Quinn Hughes about his, the genesis of his comments, and if you did, can you share with us what he said? I didn't. Patrick did. I don't. I don't have any problems with his comments. I don't have any problems with anybody's comments. That's the world we live in: free speech. And this is a player that's very emotional. As a team, we're disappointed. We're losing too many games, and he come off the ice after a game, and he was very emotional. I have no problem with what he said. Time for a couple more here, guys. Jim, you talked about the the length of time in this rebuild, that it was going to be long, but then when you answered Drance, you said it could be less than three years. So are you long for this rebuild? Or do you see yourself at this stage in your career, as accomplished as you are, needing to see this through? Yeah, I am. If I have health issues, then I'm out, okay? Then I can't do it. But I like a challenge, and, man, I got a challenge. What you thought of Andre Kuzmenko's season and what are your thoughts on the process going forward with him as he's ending on restricted free? Well, he's still adjusting to the league. 
you know, to be successful in this league, you got to play north-south. And when you come over as a European European player, they play a different style, and they're going east-west as much as they're going north-south. I think he's making that adjustment. He's a pure goal scorer. He sees the ice well. He loves Vancouver. He loves the Canucks. He wants to be here. We want him to be here. We started the process just uh, a few days ago on contract extension, and uh, we we hope we can keep him. We we think he'll just get better and better as he adjusts to the league, and he's still making that adjustment, but he's working really hard at it. Jim, I know you've only been here for 18 months, but in, in this market, the subject of rebuild, retool is a, is a decade-long argument. Um, you've noted that, you know, this can't necessarily get turned around as, as quickly as everyone wants it to be, but this market's almost been screaming for the organization to be patient, and the retool has always been sort of the uh, go-to. For Is there a reason that this organization is reluctant to take a longer view toward team building? I can't, I can't speak for what was done in the past. I'm only speaking for myself. It's, it's my viewpoint that this is the way we should go. Now, when I talk about what we're doing, we're, we're, we're trying to bring younger players in, okay, and de help develop these younger players as they're playing. And so some of the changes we make when we get to free agents, we, we may add a, a, an older guy, but it's not like we're going to go out and trade for an older guy or we're going to give a first-round pick for an older guy. We're going to stick to the plan of keeping our draft picks, trying to add more draft picks, and trying to add younger players and bring them, try to bring them together and hopefully together sooner than your three-year plan. What do you say to fans um, who think that you should tank this season and set yourself up for the best possible pick this year? Or do you still believe that maybe a playoff position is a possibility at this stage, given what the standings look like? I thought we were tanking. We're pretty close to the bottom, but it, but as a but I would I, I I would never running a team go and tell the coach or the players don't play hard for this game. They 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 have a job to do to come to work every game and try to win that game. You want to ask questions? Yeah, well, just but your decisions in terms of organizational was, moves you're making, how you set up the roster, that's a different story. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. Okay. And so, so as we go into the second half, we can, we can make different decisions as how we go about doing our business. I don't view that as tanking. The players have to play hard. The coach has to coach to win. But we also have to make decisions on where we're going in the future. You know, like one of the decisions that I think is working pretty well is sending some of those guys to Abbotsford. You know, Potts Colson needed to get his confidence. Hoaglander need to work on his turnovers. Alman needed to just get some confidence, you know, from an offensive point of view. And I'm really pleased with what's going on in Abbotsford. Can Demko be part of that decision, keeping him out longer to maybe, you know, work towards a better draft pick? Um, I haven't thought about that. We want to make sure he's healthy, okay? But he's going to want to play. He's he, he's not here to to worry about whether we get a better draft pick. You know, I mean, I'll say the obvious. We want to, you know, we'd all like to get the first pick overall if there's ever a year to get it.
okay? But I get your point. And you understand that I answer your question okay? Yeah, totally. Okay. There's no hurry. These guys, if you guys want to ask questions, you, you guys can ask questions. You can, you can offer Pedersen a contract extension this offseason. How much concern is there? I mean, if he's that foundational piece, seeing the drama that's been around this team this year, how much concern do you have that he may not want to be here given all of this? I'm not concerned about that. We have regular communication with him and his agent to make sure he's comfortable what's going on, and uh, I don't have any concerns. Jim, I think uh, when you look at teams that are able to quickly take a step forward um, and turn things around sooner rather than later, it, uh, it involves teams that A, have cap space, and uh, B, also have blue chip prospects that are ready to step into impact roles right away. Um, and I think people, when you look at this organization, would say that this organization doesn't have much cap space, nor are there many Lucha prospects. So, given that situation, um, why are you confident that you can turn turn this uh, turn this around quickly? Well, it's the most important thing is to get control of the cap space. So we're at least in the game that we can talk about bringing new players on. So the reason I'm confident is if there's no other way of moving players out in the summer, we will look at buying out some players and that will start to open up cap space. But a year from now, not next season, you know, the cap's gonna go up four or five million. It's gonna, it's gonna start to loosen up and we'll, we'll, some players' contracts will expire or, or we'll buy them out. So hopefully the players that we think we might buy out are, you know, have a good second half and they, they can contribute more to us. But there's, there's players that are underperforming that, that need to be better. Jim, with Brock Besser understanding where goals are scored in the NHL, which is down low, and rather than the hash marks, and he's been scoring of late down low, does that give you pause, or do you look at it from a perspective of if he's playing that well, there's a bigger return? Uh, I, I, I don't think it's fair that I talk about individual players, that whether I'm going to trade... Yeah, but in general, if you had to use just some okay. name that's not on our team, being an easier George question, yeah. it would okay. be a more comfortable question to answer. Um, so let's not use his name, but I get what you're asking. But in general, yeah, player A, player B, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can pretty much answer your own question. Yeah, I mean, the better the player plays, the the better return. But some players, even the better they play, the contract may be more difficult to 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 move to a certain team. Certain team may like a player, but he can't make him fit. Have you questioned, um, we know you've talked a lot about, we've heard structure with Bruce and whatnot. He's got two new assistant coaches. Are you seeing enough from them as well to help Bruce in playing the way that you want to see them play? Because clearly there's a message doesn't seem to be translating down to the ice. Enough. Yeah, I think. Judging by the competition side that you talked about. I think that's more an a, a question for Bruce. He's the guy that has to be comfortable with his his assistants. You know, have great concern about our penalty kill. You know, we haven't been able to make that adjustment. I don't know how much we work on it or how much we try to adjust it. But but when you have a penalty kill like that, that's that's great concern. It seems like it probably was difficult coming in last year and dealing with an AHL team, but you mentioned Pod Coles and Hoglander, Armand, these guys down there. You've had a pretty good track record of 
developing guys in the AHL in your career, how different is your view today than it was the day that you came in here with the AHL team? Oh, it, it, it's different. I really like what's going on. And, you know, the Sedins spend a lot of time down there and take great pride in it. And Jeremy Colton's doing a good job as far as developing the players, you know, making players better. And, and uh, I believe right now we have 13 or 14 players 23 years or younger. And that's a good place to be in an organization. Eventually, we're going to get some of those players out of there and get them, get them up here. So uh, we're making some strides there. We got a long ways to go. We don't have enough prospects in the pipeline, so that does take a little time. But uh, we're making some good strides there. You mentioned Tucker Pullman and his potential LTIR status long term earlier. I know there's privacy issues with health, but is there any sort of timeline with him or any potential to come back this season? I don't think there's any potential to come back this season. He's got a contract beyond this. Um, I thought we would have known by now, but he's gone to have several different opinions, which is the right thing for him to do. Specialists all over the North America. And uh, I would like to think that, uh, you know, this could be brought to a head fairly soon, that we know what his future is. Jim. Everyone remembers 2016 and 2017 in Pittsburgh, but I'd imagine a lot of people don't necessarily remember 2015, uh, your first season where the club lost in five games in the playoffs and uh, perhaps things hadn't gone according to plan with it sort of switching halfway through your second year with uh, the Mike Sullivan hire. You, you brought in a new coach. Do you see any analogies from what you experienced there in your first cycle at the head of the Penguins organization with what you're living through currently can't be easy. Any, this any comparisons? Um, we actually had to make the playoffs the last game of the season that year. I think we finished with 98 points. Um, yeah, I do because there were some there were some changes that uh, that had to be made, which were a little bit difficult. Uh, and uh, um, you know, once we got over that hump of accepting some of the different things that we had to do, um, you know, we, we went on a pretty good run after that. All right. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. Okay. Thanks, Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so that is uh, Jim Rutherford commenting on, well, really the state of affairs. This was a press conference, uh, and it started out this way, uh, that was supposed to be about uh, an update on Tanner Pearson and his hand injury, uh, subsequent rehab, etc. This all coming off the comments made last week um, by Quinn Hughes, franchise defenseman, and it quickly uh, turned into questions about the coach, about Bo Horvat about young players, uh, about cap space, about retooling and rebuilding. Uh, there were, you know, references about Connor Bedard, uh, references to a very successful Pittsburgh Penguins team, and then a one that had to qualify for the playoffs on the last day. That was, um, well, you know what that was? That was a Jim Rutherford press conference. And in a lot of ways, the Vancouver Canucks and their fans, as when it comes to 
their manager and in this case director of hockey operations being as transparent as they can and not just giving canned stock answers um jim rutherford has never been shy about voicing his opinion uh at one point you heard uh, calling off his comms director saying no these people have questions i'm going to stay here uh, and continue to answer them um that one was was kind of epic and as one person texted me this is going to be a press conference that's talked about for a long time in vancouver so a couple of things here um it, it, again it started out with a, with an update on tanner pearson and there is only so far uh, that the two doctors uh whether it's dr reagan or dr cc could talk about whether it's an update on the injury or the rehabilitation plans etc there was a lot of um you know patient confidentiality and can't divulge and and we assumed uh, that those were going to be the answers going in and then this thing quickly turned into questions um, about the coach and turned into questions about roster construction and one of the things that Jim Rutherford came back to and this has been I will say this on on behalf uh, in, in, in Rutherford's defense even though he's admitted that he hasn't been able to get that job done and that um, he's disappointed in his inability to do so. You know, the, the one thing that Rutherford, when he first came in, talked about was cap flexibility and being able to have some room to maneuver. And I can recall, I think we all can, uh, the beginning of the season, the Vancouver Canucks hit the salary cap threshold to the dollar. And we all marveled at that and said, wow, what a wonderful bit of business that they nailed the salary cap by a dollar. When really, I don't know that that was much cause for celebration, considering what the Vancouver Canucks, by their own management team's belief or desire, it probably wasn't a team that should be hitting the salary cap by a dollar. Um, some of the big takeaways, and I've only got a couple of minutes here. Listen, the, the Boudreaux coverage and the Talkit coverage um, and the Horvat coverage, the Rutherford Press Conference coverage will continue on 650 uh, in Vancouver. I'll do plenty more on it tomorrow here on this show as well. Um, the the conversation quickly turned to the future of Bruce Boudreau. And I think the, listen, he said Bruce Boudreau, Bruce Boudreau is our coach now. Not Bruce Boudreau is our coach, period. Bruce Boudreau is our coach now. He refused to go into any specifics about names. We all know about Rick Tockett. Jim Rutherford wasn't going to go there. But he did say that he has called to talk to people. Uh, and then reaffirmed once again that Bruce Boudreau is our coach. We can all read in between the lines uh, on that one. We know where that thing is headed. It's been headed that way for a long time. And Rutherford really didn't significantly dispute that uh, at all. Uh, the Bo Horvat contract situation came up and he said, you know, the, the offer that we have on the table is uh, the best offer we have for Bo Horvat given going into the season. And we all know what's happened to Bo Horvat this season. He's having a career year and has demonstrated that he's, you know, amongst the elite at his position this season around the NHL. And Rutherford essentially said he wants to get his money and rightfully so. I think we all know where this one uh, is headed as well. And when it came to to making trades and what they're looking for in the marketplace, I I mentioned this on Hockey Night on Saturday. This is not a situation where the Vancouver Canucks are looking for picks and young prospects here. This isn't a lengthy rebuild the Vancouver Canucks want to go through. 
when they make the Bo Horvat deal, they want it to be for players in their mid-20s. That's what they are looking for. They're looking for players that will step into this lineup and contribute. And this is one of the things that Rutherford mentioned right off the top. There's a lot of good players in Vancouver. I don't think anyone's disputing that. Um, the, the problem is, and we always talk about, you know, who's on whose timeline and does this timeline complement that person's timeline? There is an argument to be made there. Um, and nothing seems to have clicked so far with this group. So a few things here um, as we, we head off the air. Um, the Tanner Pearson situation is going to work itself out. We didn't think we were going to get much information from the doctors, and we didn't. There was patient confidentiality, and we understand that. The fact that a press conference needed to be called tells you how much weight the words of Quinn Hughes carry with the team in that marketplace as well. The Bohorvat situation remains exactly the same. We know where this is headed. Bohorvat will not be back with the Vancouver Canucks. This thing is headed to a trade by deadline, expected to be for players. Uh, also, we know where the Bruce Boudreaux situation is headed. Rutherford himself talked about how he's called people uh, to talk about uh, to talk about that position. But Bruce Boudreaux remains a head coach for now. We know where this one is headed. And this conversation about the Vancouver Canucks will continue, as I mentioned, on 650. Uh, also, this conversation will pick up again here on the program tomorrow. Lots there. Apologies to Joey Kenward was going to come on and talk about Gino Ojic. We'll push that until tomorrow. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks to uh, Mike Murphy for stopping by and Elliot Friedman as well. This is a really information-packed 45-minute press conference by Jim Rutherford. More on this tomorrow as the Merrick Show continues. Thanks for joining me.